On this week's episode of Isolated But Not Alone, we're going to move away from our discussion on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, and we're going to transition to a discussion on the Christian family. If this is your first time listening to the show, we've been doing a series on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, and I brought to light a story about a family that had their life completely turned upside down one early morning when a pastor and missionary decided to help their daughter leave the home, and how that family became victim to people who utilized their spirituality against them. So when talking about spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, I did a lot on that series to define it and to discuss the ramifications of it. Something else I talked about that can help prevent spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse is knowledge, is education. And so the podcast series on spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse is going to transition into education on the family from the Christian perspective. So stay tuned. Hi, this is James Raines, and you're listening to Isolated But Not Alone, a podcast that seeks to bring mental health awareness to rural and isolated communities. I just wanted to take this time to let you know that this and other content produced by James Raines is not therapy and is not intended to be therapy or to replace therapy. Nothing in this podcast indicates or creates a therapeutic relationship. Please consult with your therapist or seek one in your area if you are experiencing any type of mental health symptoms. Nothing in this podcast should be construed as specific life advice, and it is simply for the purpose of education. Welcome back to Isolated But Not Alone. Just want to take this time to thank all my listeners who have been tuning in each week to the podcast episodes. I hope that you're gaining something from these episodes, being challenged by them. We spent a lot of time in the past talking about spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse and defining those terms. So on this new series, I'm excited to kind of dive into the family from the Christian perspective. Almost everything we're going to talk about on this series comes from the textbook or the book, The Family, A Christian Perspective on the Contemporary Home by Balswick, Balswick, and Frederick. I read this book many years ago, and recently I got a modern copy of it, the fifth edition. I feel like this book is always a good refresher for me, as it grounds me in my own understanding of the family from the Christian perspective. So I want to give them complete credit, and I want to recommend this book. I feel like if you ever want to study the family, if you ever want more information on the family from the Christian perspective, it is a great book to own. And it talks about multiple different aspects of the family. The book is actually split into seven parts. Uh, The first part is theology and social perspectives on the family. The second part talks about marriage, the foundation of family life. The next part talks about the expansion of the family, so it talks about parenting and beyond. Part four talks about gender and sexuality and identity in the family. Part five talks about communication. Part six talks about the social dynamics of the family. And then part seven talks about the family life in a postmodern society. And so if you're listening to this, I want to be clear that this discussion on the family is from the Christian perspective. Taking into account Judeo-Christianity, their views, their values from the scriptures, from the Bible. So I think the very first thing that we have to talk about, even before we dive into the theology and social perspectives of the family and family life, 
is what do we do with psychology? And I have found in my own personal experience that in systems that create the opportunity for spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse, psychology is often something that is repressed. It is something that is wrong. It is something that is bad. It is something that you as a Christian should have no connection with. It's kind of like this bunker mentality, right? That as long as I'm in my bunker with people who act, believe, look, think just like me, I'm safe. But if I leave the bunker and go out into the quote-unquote world, I'm going to be unsafe because the world is evil. And in that bunker mentality, psychology plays this role as the world's system of thought. So therefore, it is all evil. And everything we do as a Christian is all good. Right? And I think that division is simplistic because there's some good things out in the world. It's not all bad. And there's some things that we're doing in our church that are harmful, but we think it's all good. So we allow it in. So right off the bat, we need to tackle this topic. I was teaching a class recently at a church on the Christian family. And I had a lot of people who wouldn't attend because they just wanted the Bible. That was literally what I was told. Well, they just want the Bible, so they're not going to come. They had no idea what I was going to be teaching or what I was going to be saying, but they just assumed that there wasn't going to be Bible in it, so therefore they weren't going to attend. And I was really curious at the time of, okay, where does that come from? Where does that thought come from that I can't attend a class on the Christian family because there's not going to be any Bible in it? Because that's an assumption, first off. And secondly, there's something behind that that says, If it doesn't have the Bible, it can't be right, or it's not worth my time. And so there's something deeper there. There's an excellent book that I had to read in Bible college, and then I read it again at a different Bible college, and then I read it again. I think it's one of those things where it's just a good book to have to kind of check in with the different belief systems that exist around psychology. And it's called simply Psychology and Christianity five views. And really, there's five main views. There's probably more than five, but these are kind of the main views in evangelical Christianity. The first one is the levels of explanation view. And so this is kind of the idea that there's science and faith. There's a partial hierarchy of disciplines. And so there's a relation between Christian faith and psychological research. And they would go on to say that psychological research supports family values. And then they would have ways of addressing when psychology interferes or challenges with faith and kind of what they have in common. The next view is an integration view. And it's kind of this idea that all truth is God's truth, that psychology and Christianity are blended. Because if it's true, it's true. That's kind of the the perception of that. So there's some things that are true in psychology, and there are some things that are true in our social understanding of the practical outreach of Christianity. And there's connection there. Stanton Jones is the person who writes this portion, and he's the proponent in the book of the integration view. And I really enjoy a story he tells at the beginning of the book or the beginning of his section, which is he was a student training in clinical psychology, and he had attended a seminar of J. Adams' biblical counseling movement. And when he approached Jay Adams and he asked him what he could do to glorify God in his training as a clinical psychologist because he wanted to remain faithful to the clear teaching of scripture. Adams responded, basically drop out because psychology has nothing to offer a faithful Christian. And everything that we need to understand a person is in the Bible or can be deduced from the Bible. 
And so for Stanton Jones, as well as for myself, because I have a similar situation, not with Jay Adams, but with other individuals who tried to dissuade me from going to school to learn about mental health and to eventually work in the field of mental health. So basically, it wasn't good enough for him. It wasn't a good enough answer. It's kind of a simplistic answer. The Bible does have a lot of information about humanity and about interaction and about relationship and about God's views of relationship and things of that nature. And yet, not everything can be deduced from the Bible. And the Bible doesn't claim to do that. For example, anything that we would understand about technology that we have currently is not something that the Bible speaks on. And there are topics that the Bible does not choose to speak on. So Stanton Jones would say that the fundamental beliefs of a Christian about the human experience and condition should be profoundly shaped by the Bible and by Scripture. And we should find value in the work and the discipline of the science of psychology. He also believed that Scripture alone could not provide every need for the understandings of persons, their problems, and their resolutions. And so that's kind of where we have with integration. I fit in more with the integration view than I do the other views. The next view is the Christian psychology view. And this is kind of a merger of theology and psychology. It hears Christianity and the teachings of Jesus Christ to explain the human mind and behavior. But there's also this understanding that the human mind is both psychological and spiritual. The Christian psychologist does not hold to the established view of a universal psychology that describes all beings generically believing that it has less scientific than it might be. So basically, they seek to develop a psychology that accurately describes the psychological nature of human beings as understood according to historic Christianity. So there's some complexity there. Transformational psychology is the next view, and this has a Christian approach to psychology with the emphasis on spiritual formation. So it's kind of an attempt to both rediscover and redesign traditional ways of thinking of psychology in relation to Christianity, as well as the nature of science. They're kind of focused on finding meaning in the spiritual emotional transformation of a psychologist, and they kind of understand developing and preserving the process, the methodology and the product of doing psychology in the Spirit or in the power given to you through the Holy Spirit. And lastly, there's the biblical counseling view. And I found it very interesting with biblical counseling because that was taught at every one of the Bible colleges that I went to. And it is a movement that came from J. Adams. And it's the process where the Bible, what they would call God's Word, is related individually to a person or persons who are struggling under the weight of personal sin and or the difficulties with suffering so that they might be genuinely changed in the inner person to be pleasing to God. I've always had a hard time with the being more pleasing to God part, because to me that kind of goes against the purpose of what we have been told in the gospel. There's this underlying belief system that if we can change our behavior to meet a standard, that somehow it'll transform us on the inside to be more liked, more loved, more acceptable to God. And God's already done that. God has already loved us so much that he sent his son. And yet this system causes us to focus inward to try to make ourselves better. And what often happens is we're so focused on self that we are actually distracted from anything that can actually cause genuine change. 
And this is a system where I think a lot of spiritual grooming and spiritual abuse happens. Now, it doesn't mean that every person who claims to be a biblical counselor is grooming or abusing people. That's not what I'm trying to say here. But what I'm saying within this system that says there's us and there's them, kind of almost already set up as a bunker mentality that this is the right way to do it and other people are wrong, there exists the potential for people to be abused in this situation, where they go to see a biblical counselor who believes that the Bible has everything and speaks to everything that a person needs. You come to this person with a complex issue that needs complex resources in order to address, but there's an arrogancy there that no, I, as the administrator of God's word, have the ability to fix you by using God's word. And what ends up happening is, is that when it doesn't work, because there's not a lot of depth to it, it's simply these are a list of verses that you need to give somebody to repeat over and over and over again so that they'll be healed. Or very simplistic things about reading your Bible more, praying more. Not that those aren't an answer, but there's more complexity behind the problem. Therefore, more complexity is needed in the solution. It doesn't work. And then you are made to feel guilty and ashamed that you're not more like Jesus or you're not more like God. Because if you were doing what they told you to do, it should heal you. Can you see kind of the issue with that system? How it already sets itself up to have a glaring issue? And again, not every biblical counselor is going to do that or be that way, but that has been my personal experience, as well as hearing lots of other experiences that are similar with individuals who go to see people who are classically trained as biblical counselors, who have gone to a week-long seminar or a collection of week-long seminars, who feel that only the Bible has the answers for your problem, and that the Bible speaks on all things. And so, therefore, if your problem does not get better, it's personal wrongness that's causing the issue and not whatever is actually causing the issue. Oftentimes, I've interacted with people who claim to be biblical counselors who will not recommend people to programs like AA. And that's very interesting to me because guess what? You can't read your Bible well. You can't pray well if you're completely intoxicated, right? But yet, here is a program that's designed and developed to help people obtain and retain sobriety. And yet, because it doesn't speak to Christianity, not that it claims to, but because that's the expectation, nor do they take everything that they have from the Bible. Therefore, it's not right. It's not a good system. And so people actually who need that type of community that's developed and designed for them won't actually be recommended to them because the Bible has the answers for them. And they're not the addiction of alcohol, but their drunkenness. There's also a changing of the terms because the Bible does not use the word addiction. And so we have to kind of talk about these beginning things because as we get into our discussion of the family from the Christian perspective, we're going to integrate psychology. We're going to integrate the science of psychology. I think sometimes people don't realize it's a science. And science is about observation. It's about collecting data. It's about determining from the data theories and eventually techniques. And so that's kind of what we need to be considerate of. For example, the Bible does not speak at all on the imaging of the brain. And yet there's been so much advancement in the work of addictions because of our imaging of the brain. We can't just throw that out and say, well, that's of the world. We can't have that. The Bible gives us everything that we need. And I'm not saying that the Bible doesn't give us things that we need. What I'm saying is it doesn't speak to all things, and that's not its purpose. And so to say that's its purpose 
and then to shame people when they don't fit into what we think is the right thing to do, that's a problem. And so that's right off the bat where we need to begin. So on the next episode, we're going to talk about a theology of the family, and we're going to talk about why integration is important. So again, you might be isolated, but you're not alone. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this podcast enough to share it with friends and family, and reach out with any questions you might have about mental health, and we will do our best in future shows to answer those questions. And remember, it might feel like you're isolated, and maybe you are, but you're not alone.